With the recent resignation of Pope Benedict still a hot news story, it is a good time to examine the Bible's teaching concerning Peter. This is Matt Davies joining you for another Bible in the News. Since Joseph Ratzinger announced his retirement, opinions abound about what the truth might be behind his shock announcement. The general consensus in the media is that he is too old and too frail to continue. But as his resignation flies in the face of a strong church tradition, whereby a pontiff endures the infirmity of old age until the bitter end, without abandoning the call to serve as the Holy Father, other conspiracy theories have been floated. For example, The Guardian, on Thursday the 21st of February, reported that, quote, a potentially explosive report has linked the resignation of Pope Benedict to the discovery of a network of gay prelates in the Vatican, some of whom, the report said, were being blackmailed by outsiders. The Pope's spokesman declined to confirm or deny the report, which was carried by the Italian daily newspaper La Repubblica, end quote. However, with all the hype around the Pope's resignation and the appointment of a new Pope, it is a good thing for those seeking the truth of the Bible to consider the institution of the papacy and the authority of the Pope. Now, at the outset, it might be worth saying that the intention of this week's Bible in the News is not to mock and criticise others personally. Our intention is simple to answer one key question simply using the Bible and not our own human understanding or wisdom. The question we hope to answer very clearly is, was Peter the first bishop of Rome? Why is this question relevant? Well, it is claimed by the Catholic Church that Peter was the first of many popes who are God's representatives on the earth and to which need to be obeyed by true followers of Christ. The Catholic Encyclopedia says, quote, The title Pope, once used with far greater latitude, is at present employed solely to denote the Bishop of Rome, who, in virtue of his position as successor of St. Peter, is the chief pastor of the whole church, the vicar of Christ upon earth. End quote. The words of the Bible, of course, are the only measure by which we can judge the answer to the question we've already posed. Was Peter, in fact, the first bishop of Rome? As the Lord Jesus Christ actually said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day, John 12:48, And also consider these words from the inspired Apostle Paul. He said in 1 Timothy 3, verse 17, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so therefore taking these principles that the verses we've just read lay down as our basis. Let us consider the question of Peter being a Pope by using the words of the Bible, the inspired, infallible words 
that we have in the pages of Scripture. Knowing that the answer to the question could really affect the way we choose to follow God, whether or not we decide to become or be a Catholic and accept the personage of the Pope as our spiritual leader. Now, as Christadelphians, we do not accept that Peter was a Pope. Peter was a faithful man, no doubt, but not anything like the figure of the Pope, which we know today, or whose position is currently being discussed as being filled after the resignation of the most recent Pope, Pope Benedict. And these, there are six key reasons why this is the case. We're going to examine these reasons now in the light of the Bible. The first reason is that Peter was married. Now, according to the Catholic Church, the clergy have to be celibate. Uh, to quote the Catechism of the Catholic Church, principle number 277, quote, clerics are obliged to observe perfect and perpetual continuance for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, and therefore are bound to celibacy, which is a special gift of God by which sacred ministers can adhere more easily to Christ with an undivided heart and are able to dedicate themselves more freely to the service of God and humanity, end quote. However, the Bible tells us quite clearly that Peter was married. We read in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 14, quote, And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. Now, this would mean that if Peter was alive today, he would not be considered as holding the office of Pope as he was a married man. Another verse comes to mind in passing to do with this teaching of the Catholic Church about marriage being forbidden by its clergy. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, this prophecy. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 to 3. The second reason why we reject the idea that Peter was in fact a pope is because Peter made grave mistakes on matters of faith and morals. Why is this relevant? Well, according to the Catholic Church, when a pope speaks on a matter of faith or morals, he is speaking infallibly. Again, we quote here from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, principle number 891. Quote, the Roman pontiff, head of the College of Bishops, enjoys this infallibility in virtue of his office when, as supreme pastor and teacher of all the faithful who confirms his brethren in faith, he proclaims by a definitive act a doctrine pertaining to faith or morals, end quote. However, 
When we come to the Bible, we find that on speaking on matters of faith and morals, Peter at times got things horribly, horribly wrong. For example, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 22 to 23, when Jesus reveals that he is going to have to go to Jerusalem and to be crucified, we read, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But Jesus turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, or adversary. Thou art an offence unto me, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Matthew sixteen twenty-two to 23. So Peter got something terribly wrong in relation to faith here. Also consider the following. Quote from Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. When Peter was come to Antioch, I, the Apostle Paul, withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision, or the Jews. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly, according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? So here in Galatians 2, then, we find Peter, although a foremost disciple in the early community of believers in Christ, we find that he had made a great mistake, a huge mistake in, in regard to morals. But Paul here puts things right. And as we say, this was an issue of faith and morals and how to behave between Jews and Gentiles. Now, the third reason we reject that that Peter was a pope is that Peter refused to be worshipped. Consider Acts chapter 10, verse 25 to 26. As Peter was coming in, we read, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. Here we see Peter refusing to be worshipped, and certainly the Pope does not refuse such a thing. And we are sure that in the days to come, we'll soon see pictures of vast multitudes worshipping as they bow to honour the newly elected Pope, whoever he might be. Now, another point to consider is in Luke chapter 9, verse 46, and in Luke chapter 22 and verse 24, that the disciples here are recorded as arguing about who amongst them might be the greatest. Now, the Bible here does not mention that Peter was the greatest, which you think it would if Peter was indeed the first pope. But it is silent. Point number four. Christ told the disciples not to be called by the title of father. He said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 8 and 9, 
But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. And in verse 1 of that chapter, Matthew 23, we read that this message was given to Peter as he would have been one of the disciples there present. And we wonder what Peter would therefore make of the official title, Pope, which comes from the Latin Papa, which means Father. The Pope is often called, is he not, the Holy Father. And later, in his inspired writings, Peter references the idea of holding a high office as he speaks to elders within the early community of the faithful. And this is what he is recorded as, as having said in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that should that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being ensamples to the flock. Point number five. We read in the Bible that Jesus is the only head of the church or, or the ecclesia or community or congregation of believers. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, Christ hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the ecclesia, the church, the community. The Bible also records that Christ is the only mediator required between us and God. It's clearly stated in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Therefore, it is not possible that Peter filled the role of being head of the church. The final point, point six of our rejections of the idea of Peter being a pope is actually an argument from the silence of the Bible. It might be worth mentioning this as it's actually a very key point. The Bible is silent on the following issues. It's silent on any successors to Peter. It's silent as, uh, of, be, of Peter being selected to be the vicar of Christ on the earth. It's silent about Peter being any greater than any of the other disciples that lived in the early community of believers. And it's silent of Peter acting like a pope and exercising any authority as the popes have done subsequently. Now, if Peter was the first pope and the institution of the church is so important, why on these fundamental issues... Are there no instructions in the scriptures to the servants of God in regard to them? The answer we suggest to you strongly must be that there is no instruction because the true followers should not be following these man-made ideas. Now, 
Roman Catholics will put forward the following verse in support of the idea that Peter was given some sort of special authority in the early church. Uh, and this is really the only verse that, that is really um, pushed forward. And so it's fair that we just consider this verse now, or series of verses now. And they're found in Matthew chapter 16 and verses 17 to 19, which we'll now read. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This says the Catholic, is Christ giving Peter special authority as the head of the church. But the key to understanding this passage, like most passages of Scripture, is to ensure that its context is fully understood. You'll note, if you open your Bible to Matthew chapter 16, that in verse 17, Jesus is answering something. We've got to ask the question, what is Jesus answering? Well, we find the answer if we read from verse 13, which reads as follows. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So here we see that Peter had just made this great confession of faith, that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And it is in reply to this that Jesus says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And Jesus says that Peter's blessed because Peter hadn't worked this out from any man-made um, ideas, but this idea had been given to Peter by God. But what does Jesus mean here? Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Does it mean that he would build his church, or his ecclesia, or community, upon Peter himself? Or does it mean that he would build his ecclesia, upon the confession of Peter, that Jesus was indeed the Christ. There is also a slight play of words in the reply of Christ, which is worth pointing out. Peter's name in the Greek is Petros, which means a detached stone, something like a pebble or a boulder. And so Jesus says, in effect, you, Peter, are a small stone. And then Jesus goes on to say that his community would not be built upon a small stone, but would be built upon a rock. But this word for rock is different from Petros. The Greek is Petra, which means a mass of rock, like a cliff or a mountain. And so Jesus is saying that the confession of Peter is like a mountain. And there is a distinction in the words of Christ 
which is therefore lost in the English. And Christ is clearly not speaking about Peter being the rock upon which he would build his community. In fact, if you look elsewhere in the Bible, it's clear that this is the case, that Christ himself would be the foundation rock upon which his community was to be built. Not Peter, the small stone. Consider the following verse. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11 we read, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we have this play on words. You, Peter, you're a small rock, but I'm going to build my community upon a massive rock, a big confession of faith, which thou hast just proclaimed. That's the sense of the passage before us. What about the comments about Christ's words in regards to the gates of hell? It's interesting to note in this regard that Christ and the disciples were at a place called Caesarea Philippi in verse 13. And at this place, there was a cave now known as the Grotto of Pan, which was known as the Gates of Hell. It's in the north of Israel. It was used as the centre of pagan worship in the days of Christ. Therefore, reference to the Gates of Hell not prevailing against Peter's confession means that the pagan religion would not overcome Christianity, that the confession that Jesus was the Christ would not be swallowed up by the pagan authorities of the day. And what about the keys of the kingdom then that we read of? It is true that Jesus tells Peter that he will give him keys. What does this mean? What's it in reference to? Well, the Bible clearly speaks of Peter being given the ability to preach. For, an, for example, in Acts 2 and in Acts 10. He would have had the ability to open up information regarding salvation to both the Jews and the Gentiles. This information and the ability to open it are the keys to understanding heavenly things and being in favour, being held in favour with God. Keys in the Bible are a symbol of authority. For example, in Isaiah 22 verse 22 but not the authority the current Pope proclaims. In this context of the verse, they are the authority of knowledge which unlocks understanding and opens up God's wonderful plan and purpose from his word. This is known as the gospel or the good news, which in the letter to the Romans is referred to as, quote, the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1 verse 16. This authority of understanding and therefore preaching was being neglected by the leaders of Israel at the time of Christ. You can see that in Luke chapter 11 verse 52 where this idea of them shutting up these things is mentioned. And therefore we conclude that this verse in Matthew 16 does not contain evidence of Christ giving Peter any kind of special authority to lord it over other members of the church, and that the church itself will be built upon his authority. But simply, in fact, it is referring to the confession of Christ and the truth of the gospel message, which the true community of believers 
would be built upon. Now, just before we conclude, it might be interesting to note that the Pope is in the Bible. There is a prophecy in the Bible which does seem to correlate exactly with the institution of the popes. And it's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4, which read as follows. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, the coming of Christ, shall not come, except there come a falling away first, an apostasy. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This man of sin describes an office or a succession of men of sin, which was being conceived very early on in the history of Christianity. Later in the chapter we read that the mystery of iniquity doth already work in verse 7. And so we should be able to trace this uh, system of apostasy right back to the earliest of times. And if you carry on reading 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you'll find that this system exists down through time until the Lord Jesus Christ himself returns to the earth and destroys it. We read from verse 8, And then... Shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming? It is that day that true followers of the Bible message long for. That day when God's kingdom will be re-established on the earth. That day when the inspired words of these prophets come to pass. The inspired words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy come to mind as an appropriate warning to close this week's Bible in the News with. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, ex exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. Join us again next week, God willing, for another Bible in the News. This has been... Matt Davies joining you.